Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! First Fizz Five of the new year coming right at you here on the Orange Fizz. Ian Unsworth, Liam Griffin with me, and we got a lot to talk about. Syracuse basketball is still stumbling through the ACC schedule, but hey, if you look at the standings right now, the Orange are in a pretty good spot. Joe Girard has caught fire as of late, and he's proving some doubters wrong. Syracuse recruiting, can it pick up now that we're past the new year? Liam, we'll touch on the women's team as well, and also the ACC as a whole, which has gone through a lot of turmoil over the past week and a half as conference play gets underway. Fizz 5 gets rolling with topic number one, SU's massive, massive snafu, barely beating Louisville. Number one. All right, LG, let's dive right into it. Not a game to be proud of. Absolutely not a game to be proud of. 70-69 to 69 win against the worst team in the ACC, bar none. Louisville is 2-13. and 13. Probably could be 3-12 and 12 if a ball bounces the other way here or there. Um, the, it seemed like Louisville had a pretty clear game plan going into this. And even though Kenny Payne's team has one guard... Uh, and and not ex- not anyone else that gets you real you know makes you worried. They executed. Yes, they did, Ian. And you want to if you want to put into perspective just how bad Louisville is, I'll take a page out of our pal Francesca Simone's book. Louisville is the 265th team on Ken Palm right now. Here are some teams that currently sit ahead of the Cardinals: Detroit Mercy, Brown, Oregon State in the Pac-12, Appalachian State, Portland State. Florida International, Boston University, and Northeastern. We remember what happened when the Orange lambasted the Huskies back in November. It wasn't even close. And to have this type of performance at this stage of the season is, frankly, Ian, unacceptable. I mean, there's a lot to dive into in this game, but overall, just disheartening. I mean, and the box score doesn't really show a lot of disparities that – would make you think it would be such a close game. Louisville turned the ball over 21 times. SU had only, and I say that in quotes because it's still a pretty large number, had 15. So when you think about that, it's kind of inexplicable that when you have this big of a gap between the two, that it ends up as a one-point game. Like, I think, put Colgate and Bryant aside, had SU somehow, some way, been on the losing end of it, it would have been the worst loss of the season, bar none. I saw tweets five minutes into the game uh, from people who are not affiliated with Syracuse in any sort of way, not Syracuse fan accounts, like people that are are like Big Ten pundits who are tweeting that if Jim Beheim loses to Louisville, he should start planning his retirement. Uh, that's how bad it was. Uh, let's let's look at a couple of padlock stats here, LG. Uh, padlock stat is something that. Is it's a reason why the game played out the way it did. Say in football, it might be a turnover, like turnovers. Okay. In basketball, a lot of the times, rebounding is a big padlock stat. Syracuse got out rebounded, um, only only five five boards, but all five the the differential 
Louisville had 15 offensive rebounds. And there were times when Syracuse looked lost. The whole point of defense in the zone, defense then rebounding, is you have to do it together, right? Gang rebounding is a is a buzzword around coaching circles when it comes to the zone because everyone has to chip in. And, and there were too many times, too many times when everyone ended up in the same spot on the floor and Louisville, Louisville's guys just stood around and waited for the ball to come to them because there were three orange jerseys in one spot. One play in particular sticks to mind, Ian, where Benning Williams is in perfect position for a rebound, but it slips through his hand, almost like reminiscent of Wes Welker in the Super Bowl a few years ago. What what are we doing? And then you see Benny go toss it, rip his jersey like the Incredible Hulk on the bench. Just, it, I'm almost at a loss for words talking about it because it's so inexplicable what happened. You, there's There was no defensive chemistry at all. And it showed on the final play where if Louisville was a little more careful handling the basketball, they could end up winning the game. The final play underscores kind of what the whole game felt like, where Louisville was, uh, you know, a fingernail away from from winning the game. It wasn't, oh, Syracuse got up and Louisville came back. They scored a bunch of garbage time points against the the, the backups. There were times when Louisville was clearly in control. There were times when Louisville went on scoring runs, which is something this team, like the Cardinals do not do. And there were times when Syracuse went on runs, usually, at least in the past, um, LG, every once in a while, I do wager on on college basketball games, and I have wagered against Louisville successfully many a time. Um, Louisville's a team that when faced with one run, they collapse. If a team gets some momentum going, Louisville just can't punch back. But against Syracuse, Louisville punched back multiple times. I mean, I'm looking at the win probability right now. It starts... Probably 80% Syracuse drops towards Louisville when the Cardinals made that that surge in the middle of the first half, then bounces back up. 17 to 2 run. Then bounces back up towards Syracuse. And it almost looks like the path of a bouncing ball because it goes up and down and up and down. Syracuse let Louisville get back in this game multiple times. And why? Because the Cardinals shot 41% from three. They were given so many open looks. And Mike James made four. He was not a good three-point shooter coming in. L. Ellis made four. He's the only real offensive danger on the Louisville team. And you still let him get open for these shots. The the defense was underwhelming last year. We thought it would get better this year. But between the rebounding and and just the the bevy of three-pointers Louisville made, you have to take some issue with that. So we thought the defense would get better because of the sheer athleticism the new guys bring in. Let's be honest. Cole Swider, Buddy Beheim, Jimmy Beheim, love them, great offensively. Traffic cones on defense. But you bring in Chris Bell. Benny Williams is now a starter. And if you want to throw Claudier Copeland into that mix as well, and even Malik Brown. Justin Taylor, too. Uh, I don't know about Taylor because I don't think he's as, as athletic as those four I just listed. That is a significant increase in sheer athleticism alone, which means you should be able to rotate faster, get around faster, be better communicators as well. It feels worse, Ian. Is that is that crazy to say that you have 
more talented guys, but their sheer lack of knowledge about the two, three zone, because yeah, buddy's not athletic, but he knows it. He knew it well as did Jimmy Cole, not as much, but he's Cole had one of the highest IQs on the team last year. This team just doesn't have the basketball smarts. It appears to compete night in and night out. I just think the zone is the zone. Uh, there are, there are days when it'll work, but in modern college basketball, when everyone can shoot, you're going to give up a lot of threes. Yeah. To teams that are mid-majors, to teams that are high-majors. I mean, Villanova last year shot like 57 threes or something ridiculous like that. And they didn't make a lot. They didn't make a lot, but they made enough. Yep. And you, you just can't do that when everybody, one through five, is willing to rip them now. I mean... If Kamari Lands doesn't go one for six, and keep in mind that's a former Syracuse commit. If Kamari Lands doesn't go one for six from three, if Jalen Withers makes more than two, we're we're talking very differently about this team and about this game. So the wide open shots are are still a problem. And let's let's get to the forward play because this is going to be something we struggle with all year. Uh, do you have a solution, Liam? Is there a solution to this right now? Right now, no. And Jim Beheim has said as much in his press conference, like, I just can't figure it out because it doesn't matter who you throw out there. Chris Bell, Benny Williams, rarely rebound the basketball. Justin Taylor, I'm sorry, hasn't shown me much unless then an occasionally sweet stroke from beyond the arc. Malik Brown, yeah, you hustle and you rebound, but you're not as offensively skilled as those other guys. So at this point in time, you have to wonder, what is the problem? Oh, and I guess you can mention Quadir Copeland's name, but he's... He didn't even play. He didn't even play. play. He's also too small to be a forward from my vantage point. I'd agree. I'd agree. So I really... uh, Do you you have a solution, Ian? Because I'm fumbling for words here. Well, the the best way to get guys engaged in a game, in my opinion, is to get them an open shot. Would you agree? I would think so, but they don't seem capable of doing that. Well, let's let's not put all the let's not put all of the 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 ethos on these freshmen to create offense for themselves, right? Right. Maybe it's it's game planning a couple more shots for Taylor, right? It's tough to get off the bench and immediately make three of your first four. It's not an easy task, especially in a only, in a, happened, only happened once this year. Yeah, especially in a road environment against a conference opponent. I don't care how bad Louisville is; there were still people in that building, and they were still yelling at the Syracuse team. Yeah, the crowd the crowd impressed me for how bad the Cardinals are, but that's kind of a moot point. So, I, I mean, I think that just speaks to Louisville's fan base. They they deserve better. That's like that's a good good people good people that love good basketball and and. Deserve it, to be honest, all things considered. And they've, they've sat through a lot of crap over the past couple of years. But okay. why can't we find a way to get the forwards engaged? What, like, what is, what's the disconnect there? How many times do you have – telling them they're not good at rebounding isn't going to make them better at rebounding. You know what I think it is? What do you think it is, Ian? I think they lack confidence. We saw it with Benny last year. Didn't do a whole lot. I mean, even this year, he looks like a Jekyll and Hyde type. 
He's when he has a really good game, which is once every five dice rolls per se. He he's you know he's the most energetic guy out there. He's jumping around. He's pumping his fist, screaming. Beheim has said it himself. He's the reason they won the Boston College game. Exactly, but every other game he's moody. I mean, ripping the shirt is one thing, but like he's chirping, he's getting texts, he's wrestling with guys for jump getting balls inject, that getting are injected against Illinois too. Yeah, that are already whistled. Like these kind of things do not show confidence, right? Confident, like confident players either are stoic; they don't say a thing, right? Or confident players chirp the crap out of you. You know, it, right. it's one of the two. So you have to have confidence. You cannot be up and down. And it's tough as a freshman, but there has to be some sort of confidence that the coaching staff is instilling in these guys. That'll get them more engaged on offense. They feel better taking those open shots. That'll get them more engaged on defense. It's it's all a it's all a sequence. But right now it's not there. And it it, it starts from the beginning of the game. If and- these guys don't hit one shot, they get yanked, right? If they miss one defensive assignment, they get yanked. There's not a whole lot of confidence in them. And, and I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't help that everybody just keeps piling on. Jim Beheim doesn't appear to have confidence in them either, given how no. often he bashes them in press conferences and the repeated and the repeated nature with which he says, I just can't figure it out. Like, I don't know how many times I need to tell them to rebound the basketball. It's almost reminiscent with how much he bashed Frank Anselm not last year for not jumping and using his height. That's what this is starting to remind me of. We saw, like... Over and over and over again, Frank's not ready. He's not jumping. Like, I don't know what more I can do. This year, the forwards are rebounding. I keep telling them to rebound. I don't know what I can do. Well, Jim, you have to figure it out soon. And by soon, I mean right now. Because tomorrow night, probably the biggest game of the year, at least so far. Yeah. When you visit a currently 11th-ranked Virginia team. I mean, just to to wrap this up, before we move on to Virginia – Jim, you recruited these players, right? These are your guys. You called them the best part of the best class you've ever had. No, we called them the best class he's he's ever had. And besides Judah Mintz, who's doing his thing, these guys are your headliners. So at a certain point, it's not on them to figure it out. It's on the coaches to figure it out. We'll leave that there because the Louisville game was a very tough watch. Thank you for all of you that followed along with us on Twitter at orangefizz.net or wherever you were, maybe on the space, post-game, or halftime. Thank you for sticking with our coverage of that. And we will have coverage of the Virginia game this Saturday, January 7th. That is our next topic, number two. Number two. So Syracuse, Virginia. Right now, Ken Palm has the Cavaliers as a 12-point favorite. The projected 70-58 to final score it is down in John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. Liam, what's your first impression of this game? My first impression of this game is it's now or never, right? You're coming off of probably your worst performance of the season. I could not care less about Colgate and Bryant right now. I am willing to bet money that Colgate Colgate is 105th in Ken Palm. Bryant is 183rd, both miles ahead of Louisville, period. Yeah, so. Better- Better coach teams, teams that are more in sync, too. Like, they actually had systems. Louisville was just out there doing – it looked like Y-ball, YMCA basketball. Looked like like us at the gym earlier today, just doing around – running around doing whatever we want. So, with that in mind, 
worst performance of the year, right? So you come into Charlottesville off of a horrible performance. And now, in my opinion, Virginia is the best team SU will face this year. You have a guy like Kihei Clark, who knows how to pick apart the zone like the back of his hand, who has decimated Syracuse over the years. The first impression of this is it's now or never to turn the ship. That doesn't necessarily mean winning. But if you are able to keep it competitive, which you couldn't do against the last ranked team you play, then we have a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Hope going forward. Yeah, I don't know if it's hope because we've seen this team be so up and down. But you're, you need more than just Joe and Judah yeah. against Virginia. I think that's a that's an obvious obvious uh, point. But right now, the, the, the three J's have been the big three, I guess, if you want to call it that. Jesse Edwards has been really frustrating lately with foul trouble. Oh, he's, yeah. he's taken some bad ones. You can't really do that against Virginia because this team will look for the best possible shots, and they can do two different things against the zone. First, you've got Jaden Gardner, who's 6'6", r- r- nice stretch three forward. You can sure. put him there. He'll have no problem shooting over Jesse Edwards. The other thing, which we've seen Virginia do in the past, is you put Kihei Clark in the middle of the zone and just let him pass. They killed Syracuse last year by just putting Clark there. Clark gets the ball, looks around, finds the open man. You need Jesse Edwards in there to quell any threat of shooting and to protect the paint when Clark gets the ball. He's not looking to shoot first. He's oh, looking no. to pass first. So you need Edwards back there to take up all that space, prevent the backdoor cuts, watch the dunker spot, do all that sort of stuff. You need Jesse Edwards to play big, and then you need at least 10 points from Benny and, and at least eight from someone else. Talking about Jesse, when I remember watching the game and when he picked up his fourth foul, three minutes into the second half, my head hit my head hit my desk in disbelief and shock because we thought this wasn't becoming an issue. It seemed like he had figured it out, didn't really get into foul trouble in the early parts of December against Georgetown, Oakland, and Monmouth. But then you hit ACC play. Wasn't a big deal against Pitt. I lied. He fouled out against Pitt. But Boston College, like four fouls, three minutes into the second half, that's inexcusable. And you mentioned Kike Clark in the zone. Virginia, a team predicated on ball movement. They will zip it left and right like it is nothing. And to be honest, the best teams in the ACC will do that when we get to Miami, Duke, and UNC. They're all going to have no trouble picking apart the zone. So I guess building off of the now or never mantra again, this is a perfect time for you to see how your zone stacks up against the best teams in the ACC. You've got plenty of film to review because, like you said, Kihei Clark picked it apart last year. And if you want to go a year earlier, ACC tournament game, Reese Beekman wide open from downtown. The other thing I'm worried about is Syracuse winning a game in the 60s. They've only done it once this season against Notre Dame. As in, oh, as in score. I'm like playing, yes, playing a low scoring game. And being comfortable with that, right? Because the the knock on Joe, and I guess this will kind of 
transition us into our next topic as well, LG. The knock on Joe is he misses a couple and then he disappears. Can Joe, we know Judah's going to keep going. He'll keep shooting. We saw that against Illinois. We saw that against, you know, Richmond and St. John's. He will just keep on going even if he misses. On the other hand, Joe will give the ball back to Justin Taylor and Chris Bell if he's not having a good half. He does not want any semblance of the basketball. Illinois is a prime example. Exactly. So, go ahead. Go ahead. He historically has not been very good against the Cavaliers. Five games, total 38 points, 7.6 per game. That's not exactly bona fide scrub material, but he's not lighting the world on fire either. And we'll touch on this in a moment. SU needs Gerard to play at his best. And he's going to have TK Clark up in his face all game. That has me very nervous. So there's that. And there's, if Gerard doesn't get going, then you're left with, again, Mintz doing his best. Edwards trying to stay out of foul trouble. I think Jesse Edwards can beat Caden Shedrick if, if if it's continually given to him, if he has that opportunity. But I don't know if Syracuse as a team can continually create enough good shots and then miss a couple, take a couple bad possessions, and then get back to getting good shots, right? The other thing, we've, we've seen Jim Beheim draw up plays out of timeouts, you know, late in games that just have not worked. No. And if this if this game's going to be played in the 60s, either Syracuse is scoring 45 or this is going to be close down the stretch. So we need Jim Beheim to be on his game. Yeah. This Draw up some good stuff. This has the makings of being a game very similar to either Illinois, where you run out of the gym early in the second half, or Notre Dame, where you – unexpectedly applauded W. Now, I know we thought higher of the Irish in December compared to what we do now. Now Notre Dame is an ACC bottom feeder that Syracuse should have no problem with next week. But if if SU were to somehow, some way, escape Charlottesville with a victory, I think that would reinvigorate the fan base and instill a little more confidence in the young guns, too. Like we talked about during the during the Louisville segment, if they if those guys get in there, pull off well, let's be honest, it would be a stunner, really. If they pull off that win, I think we see some better play out of Chris Bell, Justin Taylor going forward. Yeah, Syracuse has only played three true road games. One of those was a smacking in the State Farm Center, and the other two are road wins by one point. So these young guys are still getting acclimated to what it takes to win on the road and win in ACC play. But JG3 has been on his game as of late. So topic number three, Liam, do we owe Joe Girard an apology? Number three. Why would we be apologizing to Joe Girard? Well, for a, a multitude of reasons. We just kind of explained the drawbacks of, of the Joe experience. But over his past five games, he's been on the money shooting over 40% in four of those five and scoring over 15 points in all five of those games, right? He's made at least three threes. So, I mean, those are good numbers. He's only missed two free throws in the past five games. Screw the last five, Ian. Gerard has 15 or more points in eight straight games. I mean, this is the 
this is the best stretch of Gerard's collegiate career, bar none. And it's it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out why, because uh yeah, he had 31 points against Richmond, but in that game early in the season and the three games that followed, we still saw him take a lot of heat check threes with the defender right in his face, shots that made you just wonder why this kid is playing for SU. And we had people speculating the only reason Joe Girard is playing is because he was buddies with Buddy and Jimmy, Jim's sons. Cut it out. That That's all for not now. Now we're seeing him playing at a much more efficient level. He appears to be a lot smarter with the basketball, and he's hustling too. Seven rebounds against the Cardinals, so much so that Jim Beheim gave him a shout-out for it in the press conference, which when it comes to rebounding and this year's SU team, if you're being talked about with rebounding, it's normally not good news. And he's also dishing the basketball at a fairly high level, too. No assists against Illinois. He's got at least one in every game since then, including four-plus in each of the last four. So when you look at that, I don't know if it's safe to say Joe Girard deserves a full-on apology. Respect is the word I'd use. Yeah, it's it's him taking more responsibility is what I think. He has to take a bit more of the ball because Judah Mintz is everyone's number one concern. So Joe is getting more opportunities to score. And again, these are not defensive juggernauts he's facing. Pitt, BC, and Louisville aren't the best teams in the ACC when it comes to stopping someone. But again, we'll see if Joe can hold up his end of the bargain on Saturday. That's that's really what it comes down to. We've all been asking the question, can Joe really create against the best of the best? Well, at the two, because he's getting a bigger defender and he's getting someone else. If not that, right? If it turns out Joe he misses a couple, you can. It, we just know it's not his night. Can he still be engaged, right? Can he still be a productive member of the offense, create shots for others, right? Have that pick and roll chemistry with Jesse that we've seen flash every once in a while this season. Yeah, if Joe can still do that, then... Yes, I think a lot of people in Syracuse have to apologize to him because I think the mark of a really great player is still being involved even on your off nights. Yep. And if Joe can continuously show that, I mean, he hasn't had an off night in a little bit, but he's showing that he's picking up more slack on, you know, with the rebounds, like you mentioned, with the dis- distribution. You know, he's getting back to more of his point guard ways last year, but it's not because he's playing the point. He's just becoming more of a more of a focal point in the offense per se that's been the problem with Gerard Ian ever since he stepped on SU when he's good he's good but when he is but when he has an off night he's been simply put a liability he's not a good defender in large part thanks to his size but at the same time just what are you doing but like you said if he can have that pick and roll action with Jesse if he can be helpful as a passer and bring energy that Benny Williams simply hasn't been able to provide on a consistent basis that if you want to throw Quadir Copeland's name in there, sure, but he doesn't play all the time. He can be that energizer bunny, even if he's having an off night. That's the big question with Joe Girard going forward. And you're going up against the Virginia team that is 20th per Ken Palm in defensive efficiency right now. Toughest very very good squad. Elite squad, I would say. And All right, well, LG, you keep I, hitting us with these segues and uh, it's a beautiful Illinois, thing. And if you want proof, 
this is the best defense. Illinois, 29th in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. There you go. So LG with the segues brings us to topic number four. Who is the best team in the ACC? Number four. There are a lot of records that show a lot of different things. The best overall record in the ACC is Miami at 13-2. and two. However, the Hurricanes just dropped a clunker to Georgia Tech. They trailed in, in most of the game. Good Yellow Jackets team. Uh, I, I don't know about that. That's uh, Georgia not, Tech's only conference win. Do not hear the sarcasm in my voice? I, I couldn't catch it. So, <laughs> we, we've we got a whole whole mishmash of ACC competition right now. Syracuse is fourth at 3-1. and one. Pittsburgh... One of the team, the only team Syracuse has lost to, is at the top of the conference at four and zero. Clemson also four and zero. Both of those teams are projected to have fourteen and six conference records. And they're both on the bubble right now with the Virginia Cavaliers. And guess who plays each other this Saturday at four? Liam. Do Pitt and Clemson play each other? Pitt and Clemson right now, right now because it's at the Pete. Pitt is projected to win by three. Per? Ken Palm. Okay. So what do you think of Clemson and Pittsburgh, Liam? Do they have staying power? <laughs> Pitt really came out of nowhere. I mean, it's once what happened with Dior Johnson happened, I kind of wrote the Panthers off like they were going to be a bottom feeder in the ACC. I had Syracuse's loss to them as a quote-unquote bad one so there's that but this team shoots from beyond the arc at a very high level they're energetic defensively the Colgate transfer Nelly Cummings is playing at a high level right now he torched SU again a few weeks ago so there's that and Clemson might have the best player in the ACC not named Armando Baycott in the form of one PJ Hall that's true PJ Hall it feels like he's been been around for a while yeah, no, I heard I heard his name a few weeks ago. I'm just like, he's still around? Well, they have a dude named Hunter Tyson who's about 25. That's a so good. that guy's been that guy's been shooting he's been wing. A, he's been around the block. He's been, he's been block. shooting wing three since before we were in school. I think Jamarius Burton is one of the best players in the ACC that people aren't talking about. He had 31 the other night against UVA in Pitt's win. And he, he was just constantly going. I mean, the guy does not get tired. He does not stop scoring. He gets to the bucket, and you have to give a lot of credit to Jeff Capel because he's pieced together this pit team. People wanted him fired. Yeah, oh, yeah. He was a top candidate to be fired before the season. Nope. But without John Hughley, who's potentially their best player, the Panthers are still competing, still scoring over 70 points a game, and they've, they beat North Carolina. Right, this is this is a good team. They beat NC State they beat, already. They beat Virginia the other night too. Yeah, I mean Northwestern just held Illinois under seventy, and Pitt scored eighty-seven on them. I mean Northwestern's not anything special, but still, eighty-seven to fifty-eight. So, this is this Pitt team has really found chemistry fast, and you have to give a lot of credit to Jeff Capel, yeah, for for doing just that, and. To be frank, no, not a lot of people saw it coming. Yeah, I, and I certainly did it. But when I look at the ACC as a whole view, Ian, if we want to circle it back a little bit, yeah, let, let's let's back up. Remember at 
SU men's basketball's media day in October when Jim Beheim ripped the Big Ten. Yeah. Now, those words are awfully hysterical right now when I look at the ACC state of things right now. If they, if they shake out the wrong way for the conference as a whole, we could have zero ranked teams at the end of the week. Now, this is predicated on Duke, Miami, and Virginia all losing again and a lot of other things happening. Don't discount it because the it's, mediocre is the word I would use right now to describe the conference. There's no – I don't see the – the only national championship contender I see right now is Virginia, and they've had some bad losses mixed in there. They, yeah, Vir- Virginia Tech, too, losing to Boston College when you were ranked. What are we doing? Yeah, Virginia Tech is one in three in the ACC, and they're eleven and four overall. Florida State is four and eleven overall, and two and two in the ACC. I mean, and Notre Dame eight and seven overall, zero and four in conference. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a clear top team right now. Maybe it's I. I would say Miami might be the best team, just in terms of pure scoring. Virginia did beat them, but. I'd say that's a 50-50 if you play it 10 times. I, I like Miami's scoring ability. But other than that, like North Carolina and Duke are supposed to carry this conference. That's yep. not happening. It doesn't matter that North Carolina's you know, it, four of the starting five is back because the guards are still inconsistent. And while Baycott's getting his, everyone else is clanking. I mean, North Carolina had to pull away from Wake Forest very late the other night. Duke and, got washed by NC State. Oh my God, it wasn't even close. It was like forty-four to twenty-two with four minutes to go in the first half. Uh, I saw SU alum Jake Marsh was wondering if that score was a typo on Twitter. That's how it, crazy it was. The the Wolfpack are a team that you know hasn't really has been more of a football school over the past few years, and rightfully so. I mean, Devin Leary was a baller, but at the same time, this is not. Basketball in Raleigh is the mainframe right now, to be frank. I mean, the Wolfpack are on the bubble, and I think I think they're being slept on. And sure, the win over the Blue Devils certainly raised their stock, but they got a lot of guys that have been around the block for a long time. Yeah, and they have Terquavion Smith, who right now is probably a first-team All-ACC guy. He can shoot it really well. Him and Jarkel Joyner together are probably one of the best guard pairings in the conference. Right now, the ACC is projected to get four teams in. Four teams. Not good. So that is out of 68, you only see four ACC representatives. So UVA, Duke, UNC, and Miami, right? Yeah, and it, the thing is, these this it doesn't look like anything is going to shake out. So while these teams keep beating each other, um, you know, more, more schools and other conferences will climb to the front and uh, – We'll see eight or nine Big 12 teams, probably eight Big 10 teams, and then a couple stragglers from the ACC. So as Jim Beheim said, well, you know, it doesn't matter what you do unless you're in the tournament. It's for the to prove who's the best team. But, I mean, Syracuse is not making the tournament. We can pretty clearly say that. Unless, and, they, uh, unless if they win out, they win the national championship. So Well, that that's a good point. That won't happen, but it's possible. you got to win on Saturday first. Yeah. So – all that being said, the ACC, it, it it's just a big old jumble right now. I think mid is an appropriate word to use here, Ian. Dare I yes, say Yes, middling. Very good. 
Last topic. We'll we'll move on. Last topic. The Syracuse women. Also now in ACC play. Rebounding the other night against Pittsburgh after two pretty tough losses. Number five. The Orange women are 11-4 and four on the season, and most recently on Thursday, took down Pitt 89-71. to 71. Pretty much a full realization of what Felicia Leggett-Jack is looking for from her team, shooting over 50% from the field, winning on the glass. I mean, 24 from DeAsia Fair and 23 from Georgia Woolley is what Syracuse fans have been expecting from the start from this squad. Yeah, Ian. And when you look at that game as a whole, if it weren't for a 19-2 Panthers run at the end of the second quarter, the final score of this game would have been, let me do my math right, 87-52 to in favor of SU. Now, Pitt was projected to finish dead last in the ACC, and as we saw last night, there's reason, being, there's reason behind it. But ever since 2023 struck, two things really stand out. Georgia Woolley has been balling out, I mean, 23 points in back-to-back games. She's turning into the player we saw play at Buffalo last year, the reigning Mac freshman of the year, who Felicia Leggett-Jack kept saying, wait till you see this version of Georgia because she's really good. And she's re- she is really good, it shows. But Tisha Hyman's offensive struggles, Ian, are worrisome because she doesn't find the bottom of the bucket against NC State. And then she only scores five points over 30 minutes against Pitt last night. She's not playing with any confidence right now. I don't think she has the opportunity to really get involved this year. Last year, she had pretty much full control of the offense when the cars weren't controlling things. It was Tisha Hyman time. Right. And this year, nope. since she does the little things so well, she takes a back seat to DeAsia Fair, who's fine shooting it 20 times per game. Third in the, DeAsia, third in the ACC in points per game. I mean, that's a good stat, but she takes a lot of shots. And so you just don't have the opportunity to get involved. What I say about the the SU men, with the young guys, take a couple, you get going, and you settle into the rhythm of the game. With Tisha Hyman's perspective, she can get going at any time, and she still chipped in five rebounds and six assists, but she's a great scorer, and she'll she's okay being passive, but I don't think you can have her passive no. on this team. You need a second scorer, and Georgia Woolley hopefully can step up and be that, but why not have three? Right. I mean, it's at this point, it's the more the merrier. Then if Tisha Hyman can get her offensive groove back, particularly from the outside, this team could be really dangerous. I mean, they took sixth-ranked NC State down to the wire the other night, and that was with her not really having a great game. Look, you have two – I don't want to say – easy wins, but two teams you can beat on the road with Clemson and Boston College coming up before Notre Dame, one of the best teams in the country, visits the Dome on January 15th. That's definitely one to keep an eye out for. And yes, I called the the Syracuse-Clemson women's game last year at the Dome. That was a smattering. So should be an an easy win for Syracuse lined up. And it's an opportunity for revenge, too, because even though that one was a smattering, Clemson knocked SU out last year of the ACC's. Yeah, I mean, the team at that point was was so gassed. Only that six, is true. Six women you can play consistently. It, it looks a lot different this year, and there's there's a lot of cause for optimism when we're talking about Felicia Leggett-Jack's squad. That'll wrap. Go ahead, go ahead, LG. Uh, final final word. making the NCAA tournament. 
I think it's a legitimate possibility. Yeah, one one or two big conference wins. You still got Florida State on the schedule. You mentioned that Notre Dame game. A lot of opportunity. Virginia Tech, too. A lot of opportunities to make yourself known nationally. That'll wrap things up for us on Fizz 5. For Liam Griffin, I'm Ian Unsworth signing off. Make sure to follow us at Orange Fizz on Twitter, and you can check out all of our coverage of Syracuse men's basketball and football along with any recruiting buzz we happen to catch wind of on theorangefizz.com. Signing off, have a great weekend, and go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.